0: What is biblical community? What have we seen so far? Two weeks ago we started with 1 Peter chapter 2. And we saw that God created us to be a people who together live together to glorify Him. And we saw that God made us for community. He didn't save us to be isolated individually. He saved us to be part of His people. And together we glorify Him. And together we find more joy in the process. And then last week we looked at Romans chapter 12. And we saw that God's will for us is to live together in community using the gifts He's given us and using everything He's given us to serve one another. The whole point of community is not what I get out of it, but it's how I use what God has already given to me, spiritual gifts, talents, abilities, possessions, my home, everything, to serve others. And we saw that involved love in action, that involved concern over sin, that involved affection, pointing out God's grace, giving to people's needs, hospitality. There's a lot that could be said in terms of serving other people with what God has given to us. As we come this morning, we come to our third, our third message in this series, What is Biblical Community? And we're coming to today an important way we are called to serve one another, an important way that we do what we saw last week, one very particular area, an area that is so important, friends. I would contend that if we leave this area out, we don't have biblical community. We might have community like the world offers, but we don't have community as God designs if we miss this one this morning. And this morning's idea is simple, simply this. God calls us to speak his word to each other, as we share life together. God calls us to speak his word to each other as we share life together. Friends, I'm concerned that this is not as common as it should be across much of what we call evangelical Christianity today. When you look at Christians getting together, it's really easy to talk about sports and what happened in the football game yesterday. It's easy to talk about the weather. It's easy to talk about our community, crime, schools, what's happening. It's easy for us to talk about our families. But friends, we can talk about all those things if we're at CrossFit we talk about all those things if we're at a PTA meeting or a social club. But God, there's nothing wrong with doing that. It's good for us to know what's going on in each other's lives. But God is calling us to do something beyond that, something that we must not pass over. And that is to share His Word, to speak about His Word when we are together. And it's not just a task for the pastors. It's not just a task for the deacons. It's not just a task for the others in the leadership around the church. It's not just God's command and God's will for extroverts. This is God's will for anyone who names the names of Christ. It doesn't matter if you got lots of Awana badges when you were a child or not. This is for anyone who claims to be a follower of Christ. God's will for you is to speak His Word into the life of other believers as you share life together. And once you see that from God's Word? So turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. As you're turning there to some backgrounds, the context of what we're reading. Paul wrote to the believers in the town of Thessalonica... Thessalonica was a big city in the day. It was a town about half the size of Montgomery. So again, think back when this was written. That was a fairly large city. It was a town important for trade, a town important for philosophy. It was a town full of lots and lots and lots of false worship. Paul is writing to the people in Thessalonica, to so the believers in Thessalonica from Corinth. He's been there less than a year earlier, and now he's writing to them, encouraging them to be faithful. They were having some difficulties, so he is telling them to be faithful. And as he encourages them to faithfulness... He, we're going to see a lot of life application for us of what that looks like. And particularly as we're thinking about community, there's a lot of encouragement for, here, for us here of how we live together in community as well. We're starting in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, but chapter 1 leading up to what we're getting to this morning, Paul explains his love for the people. He explains his confidence in God's working in their life, and he reminds them of how they receive the gospel. And we get to where we pick up this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1, Paul gets really transparent here. And I would argue that Paul's writing here is probably the most transparent he is of anything that we see from him in the New Testament. We get more insight into Paul's heart here of what he does and why he does it here. We see his motivations. And he's doing this primarily because he's defending his work. There's been false teachers who come into Thessalonica and they're kind of confusing people in the body of Christ there... And so he's defending him and the other apostles and what they did. But in defending himself, he's explaining why they did what they did. Why they shared the word of God as they shared life. And it becomes fascinating and insightful for us about what God expects of us as well. It's an example for us to follow. We'll see that Paul spoke God's word to other believers as he shared life with them. And likewise, God calls us to speak his word to each other as we share life together. As we come to First Thessalonians chapter 2, I want you to listen to three things. We'll be listening for three things as we read. Number one... What did they speak to each other? You're going to see it more than once. There's five times it's going to explain in this text what they said to each other. What is it that they spoke to each other? Second of all, how did they speak it to each other? How was it characterized what they were saying? And then third of all, what was their motivation? Why? So what did they say? How did they say it? And why did they say it? So could I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? What a treasure we have that we have God's revelation to us. First Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm starting in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we have boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, that we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. For we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your word. Thank you that you've not left us in the dark wondering who you are. Thank you you've not left us wondering what your will is for our life. God, I pray as we come to this text this morning, God, I pray it would come alive in my heart and the hearts of these precious brothers and sisters. That God, you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit, illuminating your word for us. I pray that it would come alive and you would transform us and continue to shape us into the people you want us to be. For your glory and for our joy, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, I want you to see here, God calls us to speak His word to each other as we share life together. Now, as we begin, there's a warning for us here in the very first verse, and it's a very serious warning for us, and that is simply this. Friends, it is possible for us to get together and it be in vain. It is possible for us to spend a lot of time together and it be in vain. Look at verse 1. Paul says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. This word vain is the Greek word kenos, which means an activity with no profit, something that is empty of purpose. And listen to it when it's read that way. For you you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not empty of purpose. Our coming to you was not an activity without profit. Friends, we can get together and it can be with no purpose and with no profit. What is it that kept Paul from going down that road? What is it that kept all this time here, this shared life together, purposeful, beneficial for him and for them? Well, he gives us the answer... In verse 2, he says there, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Friends, their time together was not empty of purpose. It was not an activity with no benefit because they declared, they spoke the gospel to one another. And don't miss what they were sharing to each other. It's in here five different times. Look at this. We're going to look at five verses quickly just to hear what he was sharing with them. You know, it's not wrong to talk about football, it's not wrong to talk about weather, but look at what the focus of his intentionality, his purpose was in talking to them. Verse 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated Philippi, as you know, we have boldness in our God to declare to you the what? The gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Look at verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with what? The gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Look at verse 8. So being affectionately desirous you, we were ready to share with you not only the what? The gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. Now, verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toll. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you, what? The gospel, the gospel of God. Yep. And then verse 13. He's going to change wording here, but same idea. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received, what? The word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Yeah. So what is Paul declaring to them? What is he talking about? He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the totality of the revelation of who God is. He's talking about this idea that before time began, God already knew that we would, uh, we would turn from Him. God already knew we would sin. And God developed a rescue plan even before time began to come and redeem us, to rescue us, to send Jesus to live a perfect life, to fill the law that you and I could not fulfill, to go down on a cross as a sacrifice, to take the punishment we deserve so God's holiness wouldn't be compromised in any way, but yet he could forgive sin, that Jesus rose from the dead, conquered death, so that we might be forgiven, and he is alive today with us. That is the message that he has been proclaiming to them, that he has been speaking to them, this incredible good news. It is the fullness of God's revelation to them. Again, verse 13, he says, And we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. He spoke the fullness of the gospel, the fullness of the word of God to them. And friends, I just want to remind us, you've heard me say it before, the gospel is not just for coming to salvation the initial point of time. So often when we talk about the gospel, we act like it's only for a sinner to become a Christian. And that's it. And friends, the gospel is that, but the gospel is so much more. The gospel is just as much for you and me today as it was for the day that we first trusted Christ. I need to be reminded today, you need to be reminded today that we've been reconciled to God. We all need to be reminded of our identity is in him. We need to be reminded that we are part of a people. We need to be reminded that God loves us and rejoices over us, not because of us, but because of what He has done. We need to be remembered, we need to remember that God has called us to be holy, to live out who He has declared us to be. And friends, when I sin daily and I sin daily just as you sin daily, I need the gospel and you need the gospel each day to remember that Christ forgives me because of what He's already done on the cross. We need that not just the day we trust Christ, we need that every day that we trust Christ. And this is, in fact, what Paul reminds them of. Look at verse 12. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul is speaking the gospel, the whole message of who God is, the whole message of what Jesus has done for us so they could live out who they were in Christ, so they could together keep God as the focus, so they could together glorify God and think about these things. We so quickly lose sight of. Friends, God calls us to speak his word to each other as we share life together. That's what we're to speak, but how do we speak it to each other? And I think there's three things we see in the text here that are important for how Paul speaks the Word of God into their lives and how we are to speak the Word of God into each other's lives. The first thing we see is we're to speak the Word of God boldly to one another. We're to speak God's Word boldly to each other. Look at verse 2 again. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we have boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. The word boldness simply means courage. And friends, we need it. To live open and transparent in community is a vulnerability. There's a risk that goes with that. Friends, when we need to speak God's word in each other's lives, it stretches us out of our comfort zone. We need courage and we need boldness. Not just any boldness. This is not secular humanism here. What do we need here? We need courage not in our personality type. We need courage not in our knowledge of scripture, not courage in how winsome we can be, not courage in our communication skills, not courage in our position. We need courage in what? In God. That's what Paul says. His boldness was not in his personality. His boldness was not in his position as an, as an apostle. His boldness was in God, in God's grace that God's provided. Friends, it doesn't matter if you're an extrovert or an introvert. It doesn't matter if you got every badge you could get as a child in a want scripture memory program. It doesn't matter about that. It doesn't matter if you have a position of leadership in the church or not. It doesn't matter if you have great communication skills or you get nervous in front of people. That doesn't matter. Your boldness is not in those things. According to Paul here, your boldness to be able to speak God's word to each other is in God and the grace that he provides. That's a pretty solid foundation for being bold to speak God's word to each other. But there's more in verse 4. There's two other things we see about how we can be bold. Not only does it come from God, but look at what we have to understand if we want to be able to speak speak the word to each other. First, the first part of verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Now, let just pause there. We've been entrusted by God with the gospel. Friends, we are stewards of the gospel. If we want to be bold to speak God's word to each other, to live in community the way God wants us to live with each other, we have to, first of all, understand boldness comes from Him. But second of all, we understand that it comes from understanding that we're stewards of the gospel. Stewardship means it belongs to God. It's not mine. God's given it to me for a reason. And friends, the whole message of the Bible is not just about me or just about you. It's about what God is doing. And so God gave us the Bible not primarily so you and I can have a quiet time. That is not the end goal of having the Bible. God has given us the Word of God to reveal His greatness and His glory. And He's given it to us so that we might share it in community one with another. It's not just for me and my personal time with God. It's for me to be, see as a stewardship that I'm to use to share with other people as well. And so we can be bold because God gives us boldness, his grace. We understand we're stewards. But look at the last part of verse 4. So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Friends, if we want to boldly be able to talk about God's world with each other, we have to stop being people pleasers. And I am convinced in my own heart, in the hearts of most people I know, one of our root sin struggles is we fear people more than we fear God. We're people pleasers at the core of our heart. And I believe it's one of the most dangerous sins in our life. People-pleasing is when we fear what other people think about us. We fear our reputations. We worry about keeping people happy. We go out of our way to try to make sure everyone is happy and no one's ever offended and no one's upset with me. And it becomes a burden and bondage in our lives. And friends, if we are people-pleasers, we will do and say things we should not do and say to try to keep everyone happy. And we will not do and not say the things we need to do and say because we're afraid of what they might think about us. I'm friends with a biblical counselor here in the area, and he's told me, he's a great, he said, Grady, the root of almost every issue I help people with, marriage problems, addictions, anger, he said, the root of almost every single person I help is people-pleasing. He said, this is the, the soil in which so much sin comes into our life. And friends, this is not happening for Paul. Paul was able to be bold to speak God's word to these other people he's living with because he wants to please God. He wants to steward well the gospel has been given to him, and he wants to love them. He's not worried about what they thinks. He wants to do what is right in this. Friends, with that said, I need to remind us that it is not loving for us if we see a brother or sister in Christ in sin and we keep our mouth shut. We live in a culture where we have such people-pleasing fear to think, oh, they're going to think I'm judging them. Friends, that's people-pleasing that's coming out, and we live so timid in this. Friends, if we see a friend in sin and we don't confront them, we don't really love them. If we see a brother or sister in Christ not seeking after the Lord and we don't try to encourage them to seek after the Lord, we are not loving them. To be quiet because we're afraid of what they might think, to keep this kind of surface level pretense of peace, is really the most hateful thing we could do for them because they're on a path of destruction and we're not willing to speak up. Friends, it would be like as you're leaving church today, if you see someone else from the church in a bad wreck and laying on the side of the road needing help and you're like, oh... What will they think if I tell them they might need to call an ambulance? And they might get offended. I'm not going. I'll just they'll they'll call me if they need help. That'd be foolish to do that because that wouldn't be loving. We wouldn't be doing what they need. The same thing in the spiritual realm, friends. When we see brothers or sisters in Christ who claim the name of Christ and they have sin in their life and they have areas when they're not seeking the Lord, and we keep quiet out of what they think, it is just as hateful as not helping someone in need. And friends, it could be as simple as we see a brother or sister with an angry heart. A brother or sister with bitterness in their heart. Someone who's dealing with jealousy. A husband not loving his wife the way Christ loved the church. A father or mother provoking their children to anger. Friends, we need to be willing to boldly speak the word of God to them. God has given it to us as a stewardship, not for us to sit on and hope, I hope they'll figure it out one day. He's given it to us that we might share it boldly, as Paul does, to help our brothers and sisters out. With that said, we need to make a clear distinction here. There's a big difference in sin versus preference a big difference here, and the problem is a lot of times we're very willing to speak about our preferences for what other people should do. Oh, it's not wise to go to that school, or it should be wise to go to this, or it's not wise to do this, or you should do this, and we get really bold to speak our preferences, and then we get totally mum when it comes to speaking of sin issues. We've got it totally reversed. We need to be bold to speak about sin issues and things that the authority of Scripture is very clear on. We need to be very quick to keep our mouth shut on things that are not sin issues as clearly Revealed in scripture, friends, I'm amazed at how much conflict there is between husbands and wives, parents and children, friends, even in churches, because we elevate preferences to sin levels, and we treat them as such. We must be clear the difference between a sin versus a preference. If it's a preference, we live out Romans 12:18. as far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all if it's not a clear command of Scripture that's being violated, then we need to seek to live peacefully all. But if it is a clear command of Scripture that is being violated, we need to do what verse 4 says. Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. Friend, God calls us to look to His grace, to move past our people-pleasing tendencies in our heart, to steward the gospel well by speaking the word of God into each other's life, both for encouragement, but also for correction where it is Needed. But let me say as well, being bold does not mean being obnoxious. <laughs> being bold does not mean being judgmental. Being bold doesn't mean coming from a place of superiority as a know-it-all. No, that's not what we're talking about here. This is a both-and. We are bold and loving at the same time. So how do we speak the word to each other? We speak it boldly. But second of all, we speak it lovingly to each other. We speak it boldly and we speak it lovingly. How do we speak it lovingly, friends? This is a heart issue thing. This goes back to our heart and our motivations which is where 1 Thessalonians 2 is so incredibly helpful for us. Look at how Paul felt about the people and why he spoke like he did. Verse 3, Paul says, For our appeal does not spring, does not come from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Friends, he's not speaking from error. He's not giving his opinions. Friends, your opinions and my opinions are all wrong at times, right? He's not speaking for anything with error. He's speaking something that has no error, and that's the Word of God. He's speaking without any impurity. He's not trying to get them to serve him. He's not getting something for himself. He's not building himself up. He's speaking to serve them in this. And he's speaking without deception. This means he's not trying to manipulate them. Friends, it is amazing how much as followers of Christ we can try to proof text certain verses of Scripture and use them to manipulate other people to do what we want to do. And that's not what Paul is doing here. He's trying to help them understand who God is and how that changes them. He further explains what he's not doing, verse 5 and 6. He said, we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, that we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So we didn't come flattering you. Flattery is trying to influence another person with your words. So we're not trying to do that. We're not trying to gain anything from me. So I'm trying to do this for you. I love you. I'm serving you. He says, we're not trying to get glory from people. He's not trying to build himself up by tearing them down. He's speaking from a posture of humility. Which again, friends, this is important for us. As we speak the word boldly and lovingly, we must guard our hearts to never speak as one who has it figured out to someone who needs to have it figured out. The reality is every single one of us is in a journey. Every single one of us needs God's word daily. Every single one of us needs God's grace daily. You have blind spots. I have blind spots. None of us has it all figured out. And God has brought us together as a community that together, as sinners redeemed by God's grace, as we walk this journey together and we speak God's word into each other's heart, we can see God transform it. Friends, I need you to speak God's word into my heart just as you need me to speak God's word into your heart. Just as the person next to you needs, needs you to speak God's word in your heart, we need each other. This is a two-way street and we do this from a posture of humility to help one another because we love one another enough to say, hey, I'm worried about you. Are you seeking after the Lord? I'm worried about you. How's your marriage? How are you treating your kids? I'm worried about you. Are there blind spots where the enemy is deceiving you? And then we initiate as well, hey, would you help me? I've got this blind spot where I'm falling into sin. I've got this area where I'm not treating my kids well. Would you help me? And this is a two-way street where together we speak the word of God to one another, as brother and sister, both desperately in need of God's grace. We speak it boldly and we speak it lovingly. But there's a third way I see Paul speaking God's word to the people here, and that's relationally. We speak it boldly, we speak it lovingly, and we speak it relationally. That means we don't do it from a distance. We don't do it from a place of unconcern. Look at verse 7. Paul says, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. He says, we were among you. This means living together. Friends, what Paul has in mind here, speaking the word of God to each other, is not getting onto social media and blasting someone else for the sin in their life. That's not what Paul has in mind here. This is a face-to-face shared life. As I'm living among you, as we're together, as we're hanging out at my house, as we're hanging out at the coffee shop, as we're at the gym together, whatever, we can look at each other and say, hey, brother, how are you doing there? I'm worried about this in your life. It's a relationship, a among you type relationship. And the image that Paul conveys is very unique here to help us get this. He says, the way you should be talking to each other, look at verse 7, is like a nursing mother taking care of her children. That's probably not the image you would pick out to describe how we're to relate to each other in the body of Christ, is it? A mother nursing her children. What is Paul trying to say? Think about this. A mother nursing her child has not given her child to someone else to be fed and taken care of. A mother who's nursing her child has the child as physically close as is humanly possible to impart life to that child. This is the image under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Paul picks out to describe how close our lives are to be intertwined in community. That we are imparting God's word to each other as close as a mother nursing her child. And in case we miss the imagery he's trying to convey, he tells us very plainly in verse 8 what he's saying. It's a verse we've talked about the last two weeks. Verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. Friends, you can't get a much stronger description of being close and loving each other. Affectionately desirous. I feel Paul's struggling here to find human words to describe the feeling he has to want to be among them face-to-face with them. I'm affectionately desirous of you. It's so much so that I'm going to speak boldly and lovingly God's word, but I'm also going to share myself. In fact, the word that gets translated self here is the same word for soul. I'm going to share my soul with you. We're going to be that close like a mother nursing her child. We're going to share our souls as we walk this journey of seeking God's grace together, speaking God's word to one another. So friends, what does it look like to speak God's word to each other boldly, lovingly, and relationally? I think verses 11 and 12 shows us what that looks like practically. Look back at verse 11. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. What does it look like? You exhort one another. This means to directly speak God's word to each other. We're exhorting each other. Friends, this is going to someone else and being like, hey man, how is your love for the Lord these days? Man, you told me you were struggling in the sin area. How are you doing that? How can I pray for you? Friends, that's exhorting. That's coming alongside. That's speaking God's word to one another. It's both the encouragement to pursue God and the correction of sin. That's an exhortation. But it's not just that. It's, he says, to encourage you as well. So verse 12, he says, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you. Friends, it's not just enough to be like, how are you doing in that area? You need to do better. Get over it. That's not what he's talking about here. It's an exhortation with encouragement. Last week, looking at Romans 12, we talked about what it looks like to serve each other, and we said part of that was honoring one another. How do you honor one another? You point out God's grace at work in each other's life. There's nothing more encouraging than when someone comes up to me and says, man, I just want you to know I see God's grace at work here. God is working. Friends, I can lose sight of that, just as you can lose sight of that. And to have a brother or sister encourage you and say, hey, I just want you to see God has brought you so far. You may not see it, but look at where you were six months ago. Look at what God has done in your life now. Not because of you, but because of God. They're encouraging you, showing God's grace. That's what's in view here. You exhort, you speak the word of God, but you also encourage. Look at what God has already done. Yes, you may have sinned in this way, but look at where God's brought you the last six months, and look at where he's taken you. You're encouraging them with God's grace. And then he has a third word here in verse 12. We exhorted, we encouraged, and we charged. Some translations render this word we urged. This is showing the seriousness of what you're doing, friends. This is not, well... I told him once his family life was a mess. I don't know why he didn't listen to me then, and I'm done with him. That, that's not what's in view here. The idea of charging, urging, is getting into people's lives and speaking the truth and repeating the truth. This is, there's no passive-aggressive here. There's no, I kind of hinted at it with him. There's no beating around the bush. Well, I put it on social media. Why didn't he read that? You know, this is, that's not what's in view here. This is face-to-face loving each other enough to say, hey, I talked to you about this a few months ago, and I'm still worried. How are you doing it? Do you see God delivering you? Do you see God changing you and hey, while we're at it, would you pray for me? I talked to you about this in my life a few months ago, and I'm still not where I need to be. I need help. That's what's in view here. Direct pleading with a brother or sister. I once heard it described this way that helped me in thinking through this exhorting, encouraging, charging. Basically what we're doing is we're comforting the afflicted and we're afflicting the comfortable. We're comforting the afflicted and we're afflicting the comfortable. Friends, there's people here who are afflicted, who are discouraged, who are struggling in different ways. They don't need the pat on the shoulder. It'll be okay. Please don't ever say that to anyone because we don't know the future. We don't know it'll be okay as we think okay is. They don't need that. They need <coughs> to be reminded of the promises of God's word. You know, I know you're having a hard time, but do you know God's promise to never leave you or forsake you? Do you know that God's promise in the middle of these trials that he is doing good in your life and he's going to work all things for good? That's what they need from us. It. Not a, it's okay or I understand. They need God's word. And so for people who are afflicted, who are discouraged, they need the reminders of God's comfort and God's grace. People who are struggling with sin in their life, as we all struggle with sin in our life and temptation, need to be reminded of, hey, do you remember God's word says, and they point out God's word again, not a preference, but this is what God's word says about this issue in your life, and can I walk this journey with you? There's people here who are afflicted who need to be comforted, but yet there's people here who are comfortable who need to be afflicted. There's people in this room who are comfortable in their sin, who are very fine with their marriages being broken, who are very fine with having distance between husband and wife without the oneness that God commands and requires. There's people here who are fine with the anger to their kids, and they're fine with the fact they're exasperating their kids. There's people here who are fine with their addiction to pornography or other substances. There's people here who are fine with their worldly pursuit of wealth. There's people here who are fine with their idolatry of their careers, their idolatry of sports, their idolatry of money, whatever it may be. And our job as brothers and sisters is not to leave them comfortable in their sin. We're to love them enough to come alongside them and to say, hey, I want to walk this journey with you. Friends, God, we need God's grace to overcome our people-pleasing so we boldly, lovingly, and relationally get into each other's lives and speak God's word to each other. And listen to verse 12. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And friends, my prayer is that as we do this, as I do this and you do this, and as we all do this together, well, what would happen here at Gateway is what verse 13 says happened in Thessalonica. Verse 13, And we also thank God constantly for this. And when you received the word of God, which you heard from who? From us. When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Friends, my prayer for us as together in biblical community, we share God's word from a posture of humility with one another, boldly, lovingly, and relationally, that this would be true for us, that we would accept what each other shares as God's word. Again, not preferences, but God's word. And we would accept it as what it really is, the word of God, and that it would be at work in our lives, transforming us and changing us into who God made us to be. Before we come to communion, I want to read you one more text from Ephesians chapter 4 because it summarizes what we're looking at today really well. And I think it'll be up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. This just pulls together everything we said this morning. This is Paul talking now to the people of Ephesus. He said, rather speaking the truth in love. And let's just pause there. This is what we're talking about. We're speaking the truth in love. This is God's command. This is God's will for us, friends. And the reality is some of us are good at speaking the truth, period. We don't mind the confrontation. You're doing wrong. But that's not what he commands. Some of us are good at what we think is loving someone. I'll just be really quiet. I'll just pray and eventually God will change them. But that's not what's commanded here either. The normative pattern for Christian community in the early church and what God's will is for us is to speak the truth in love. So verse, four, verse 15 again, Ephesians 4. Rather, speaking the truth in love, look at the result. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head and to Christ From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you see this? Speaking the truth in love is not so much about just one-on-one interactions here. It's about the whole body together, growing, being built up, joined together as God designed. This is God's will and God's plan for us. So, friends, as we come this morning to the end of the service. We come to a time of communion, a time to remember sacrifice, and usually when we get to this point, I read for us from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, because it's an important reminder for us, but i want to tie that into what we're talking about this morning in this whole series this morning as well. But as we begin and come to this, I want to remind you why we're doing this, and again, why this has relevance to what we're talking about this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul tells to the people in Corinth there, so as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Friends, what are we doing when we celebrate communion? When we look at the bread, when we look at the juice, this is to remind us of the very thing we're supposed to be speaking to one another. (coughs) This is a reminder of the gospel. And friends, we could not get to God on our own. There's no way. We've offended God. We've sinned greatly against Him. Every single one of us has sinned against Him. But God, being rich in mercy, came to us. Jesus lived a perfect life, satisfied all the demands of the law, went to the cross, and all the punishment, the wrath that you and I deserve for our sin, got put on Him. The transaction was made. He took our sin and His righteousness was given to us. And when we break the bread and we drink the cup, we're reminded that his body was broken, his blood was poured out so that you and I might be restored to a right relationship with God. But when we come to this as well, we're told to, to examine ourselves. Friends, we don't rush to the Lord's table. We don't just run up here and take it and go about our normal lives. This is a serious thing. We are claiming by taking this to be a follower of Jesus We're claiming by this that we believe that Christ's body was broken, his blood was shed so that I might be restored to a right relationship with God, so that I might become part of the people of God. And so, friends, we're told to examine ourselves. So, first of all, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome. It doesn't matter if you're a member of Gateway or not, but this is only for followers of Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I just encourage you, there's no shame in sitting there and thinking about these things and reflecting on them. No one's going to look at you funny for that. This is something just for God's children to observe. But beyond that, we're told to examine ourselves. We need to reflect on, am I ready to receive this? And so as you come and you receive the elements, our deacons will help direct you. You'll return to your seat. And when you return to your seat, my encouragement to you is don't just rush and take it. Either while you're waiting for your section to come forward, or while you're sitting there looking at the juice and the bread, I want you to pray and to talk to the Lord about these things. You know, Am I following the Lord's will? Is there any sin in my life? That is, that is displeasing to the Lord. Friends, anything that, where our lives does not conform to God's word is a sin. And so even in our hearts, if there's people-pleasing tendencies, that's a sin that we need to repent of before we take the Lord's Supper. If we're timid to speak God's word to other people, that's a sin we need to repent of. And so as you come to a time of examination this morning and thinking about this, I want to read you one more text for your consideration before we absor- observe the Lord's Supper. I want you to reflect on what Christ has done for you which is a spirit of worship. But also, I want you to think about 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 11, it says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what, is known to, but, what, but what we are is known to God. Down in verse 14, he says, The love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised then down a few more verses in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. To God, so as you come to a time of self-examination, like we do every time we observe the Lord's Supper, I want you to think first of all and remember what we're supposed to be remembering: Christ's sacrifice that He did so that we could be reconciled to God. And I want you to treasure that and think about that. That I, a sinner, have been restored, reconciled, made right in my standing with God. Think about the fact that Christ died for you; that He's made you a new creation. The old has gone; the new has come. I want you to reflect on those things and give thanks to the Lord and worship Him. But I also want you to ask the questions that 2 Corinthians 5 demands. Am I trying to persuade others from the word of God? says, so knowing the fear of the word, we persuade others. It says the love of Christ compels us. Is there a compulsion in my heart to speak God's word to my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room? As well as what we'll talk about next week to those around me who do not know the Lord. It says he's reconciled us to himself and he's made us a minister of reconciliation. Is there evidence in our life, not only of being reconciled to God, but is there evidence in my heart that God is using me to be a reconciler of others? Is there evidence of God doing this in my life? And am, am I appealing to others as God's ambassador? And ambassadors don't go sharing their preferences. Ambassadors go saying, my government says do this. And we come not saying, here's what I think you should do. We go to others saying, you know, as I'm looking at your life and my life, here's, let's see what God's word says about it. Are we doing that with one another? Friends, God has called us to speak his word boldly, lovingly, and relationally as we share life and community. As we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, I want to ask you to pray and reflect on that. I'm going to pray first, and we're going to ask our praise team to come receive the elements so they can lead us in singing in just a few minutes. But would you pray with me? Father, you have given us an incredibly high calling. You have reconciled us to yourself, and you have entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. Father, what an incredible thought that is. God, you could do it whatever you want to. God, you could choose to reconcile people through writing it in the sky. You could give voices that just echo out across the city. But instead, you've called your church, your people, to be your mouthpiece, to share your word in our lives with one another. God, I ask for grace for me to do that. I ask for grace for these precious brothers and sisters to do that as well, Father. That as we speak your word to each other, God, that you might transform us, that you might free us from patterns of sin, that we might have joy, we might find encouragement for this journey You've called us on in this Christian walk. And Father, now as we come to a time of communion, of remembering your love for us, remembering the sacrifice that enabled us to be reconciled to you, as we look at the bread and we drink the cup, Lord, I pray this day that you would remind us of the gospel, that you'd remind us of what you've done. And God, I pray you would fill our hearts as your children with great, great thankfulness, that we would worship you and praise you in return for all that you've done. But gotta pray as we think about this, I pray that you might challenge us and convict us as well. God, that you might show us ways that we can be your ambassadors, your ministers of reconciliation, even one to another, right here with others in this room, here in the body of Christ at Gateway. So would you this time of communion, Lord, to give us thankfulness for what you've done, but would you use it as well to shape us, to mold us more into who you want us to be, and we will give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor because you are deserving of it, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to invite our praise team to come and receive the elements, and then the deacons will direct you in just a moment.